Are you a candle enthusiast looking for something truly unique? Or can you not put your finger on what would be that perfect gift for that someone special? Then you need to check out Aunt B's Homemade Creations. This Etsy shop has everything from gaming dice candles to dragon head candles and even a skull named Fred. Plus just about anything your mind can think up with fully customizable options and other great products to boot. And here's the best part. Through March 31st, you can get an additional 15% off every product in the shop by using the promo code DRESDEN. With candles and products like these, you can create the perfect atmosphere for your next game night or reading session. Remember, use the promo code DRESDEN at checkout. That's antbeeshomecreations.etsy.com. Find the link in today's notes. Enjoy the show! Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. And I am Alyssa. And we are back with today's episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A spoiler-free run-through where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. All right. On today's episode, we're looking at the opening few chapters of book three. Grave Peril. Grave Peril, released on September 1st, 2001. And I'll tell you what. On August 31st, 2001, they did not know what was going to hit them that September. And by that, I obviously mean Grave Peril right in their face. It took them like two weeks. I mean, like they, they, ever, The world stopped. I mean, it took a little while for that to happen, but I can't remember anything else that happened that month. Yet. Um Goodness. Really exciting times. Oh, God. How are you today, Liz? I'm good. Uh, Tuesdays are my day off, so had a really nice low-key day doing exciting things like laundry. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. I party hard, dude. I party hard. You know, there's kids listening. <laughs> want to make sure we're good examples, okay? Hey, You're yeah. a model now. You're not just some <laughs> random law enforcement officer. You're oh, a podcaster. Law enforcement officer. It's who I am. I cast pods. <laughs> uh, I hang out with dead people and I do podcasts. Yeah, actually, own. That sounds like quite the life, except for all the gross stuff. Uh, the way you describe it there it sounds wonderful. <laughs> They're very quiet. Oh man, good stuff. Now this is a. Uh, this, uh, no, again, I don't want to get too deep and give you. I don't. I hate biasing things. Uh-huh. But I don't know if you know this. I talk a lot, and when I get going on something, I just. It's like that. Uh, like like that Michael Scott where you just start talking about an idea and you don't know where the sentence is going to end. Um, <laughs> you don't have any idea where the thought is going. You just kind of let it progress as you go. That's kind of the way I go through life. So I, w- without prejudicing this one too much, it's funny I say that. And Jim Butcher actually on the audiobook has a little introduction mm-hmm. that kind of says like, some people say this is where the story gets going, which is like fair. But it's just kind of funny that I'm trying to do that, and I re- just remember that that existed. <laughs> but uh, the story just kind of progresses. And it's one of the cool things about any book series. We talked about this before, like why I like book series. If I'm done, mm-hmm. I don't like reading one-off books because I get invested. Even like two or three is fine, but like you get invested, and then you know after a couple couple weeks, it's just like okay, well I'm never going to see that person again. You know, like what did I? What did I do all this for? I want to care. I'm going to think about it. That's cool. 
fun. I just like, I like, so what I like, to, I, I literally, I told you I go through this all the time. Like I have like five or six book series that I basically just go through, kind of like I cycle through. After I finish one, I'll just move on to the next. And once in a while, I'll mix it up and try something new. I just actually downloaded, because uh, I was running out of space on my Audible account. They only let you hold five credits. Mm. I already paid for me, bastards. Like, well, who cares if they add up? Um, you already have your money, you greedy Bezos. So I had to get rid of one before my neck that turned over the next month. And his son, James Butcher, mm-hmm. has a fantasy novel, a, an urban fantasy novel out. I haven't read it, but I downloaded it. That might be my next series. <laughs> Although, actually, there's some Court of Thorn Roses or something that yes. I'm trying to... Yes, I, Court of Thorn and Roses. All right, well, I got four uh, four tokens on my Audible account right now, so... Uh, it's like a 20,000-hour audiobook because it's like 600 pages, I think, but it's quite good. 20,000? And, and, and it's a long, it's a long <laughs> audiobook. But the uh, other thing I have to say, that when you read that, don't get too attached to any character. Not because they die, but because things change. Fair enough. Just a warning. Just a warning. Though they are making that into a Hulu show. Oh, cool. Yeah. Which I'm kind of excited about. Because that's my series that I've read. Well, I've gone through the audiobook three or four times, so. Nice. In the yeah, last no. years. And you've mentioned it enough on and around this podcast and maybe out, mm-hmm. outside of the pod where uh, I, said, I forgot about it when I was trying to. I literally just got the email saying, oh, don't let your pod, your tokens expire. Um, and I just remembered that I had seen that his son released a book. Nice. Which is funny that his son, it's not, I mean, it makes sense. His son released a book on, you know, a wizard uh, or some sort of uh, sorcerer type. Um, but apparently the, the magic works very different in that universe and stuff. So I'm intrigued to see it. Yeah. There's one thing I love. It's nepotism and, you know, somebody working... Somebody working their tail off to start from the bottom with no no breaks in life and coming good and finally getting that novel published. You know, good for him. I kid, I kid, I kid. Hey, my, cat, my cats are going to take over this podcast when I die. and <laughs> um, I'm going to be very excited for this podcasting empire of one show that goes too long every week because I say dumb stuff like this current thought um, <laughs> as we go through it. So very cool. Uh, do you have any questions or thoughts uh, before we get going here? Like how Butcher said in the um, opening to the podcast, this, it just feels better. Uh, the The writing style, it, it it just already, this feels better. Yeah, I think, it, again, like, it, it breaks away, and it's not saying we won't go back to that, but from kind of the paint by numbers, he gets a case, he gets a case, mm-hmm. you know, he goes to the murder scene. It just, it starts off, A, kind of with a little bit of, um, you know, playing a little loosey-goosey with the uh, mm-hmm. flow of time, which is just always... I, it, I mean, it's kind of overdone and tropey at this point, but, I mean, i that's probably Quentin Tarantino's fault. I mean, he obviously didn't invent it, but certainly popularized it in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, Pulp Fiction blew people's minds. He's like, wait, how do I figure out the timeline when they're moving around? Oh, my God. But non-linear, uh, yeah. Yeah, but non-linear storytelling is just already an interesting and different way. And he doesn't do that a ton in any of the novels, and it's just, I, I wonder if he did it that way just because it starts off more exciting, right? Which he is, we as we know, right in his wheelhouse. When mm-hmm. when stuff gets exciting, he's one of the better authors. I, I've honestly, like, I've read just when stuff, there's action happening. Yeah, it definitely feels more polished. Like, like I said, I, that was one of the words I used a lot, where it's just like, just the level of care that goes into it. And we're six chapters in. Maybe it's chapter seven sucks, you know, who knows? But 
it just feels like a more professional author working at his craft. And that might just be because at this point he is a professional author working at his craft and not just, you know, Joe Schmo college student who just has some really good ideas and some talent, some, you know, some latent talent. Yeah, it is. It, it just feels a little bit more enjoyable and more well-groomed. We haven't met any new women yet. So that might also be part of it. Six chapters in, I guess we do meet a female fairy, but, mean, um, and, uh, Lydia. Oh, we do actually. Okay. And she does get sexualized a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. but in a way that works, I feel like, and we'll, so I guess we'll get to it. And I definitely don't, I want your thoughts on that, but, mm-hmm. um, kind of like she's using it, using it as a weapon. And then when it doesn't work, she just turns it off immediately, which is <laughs> like, interesting. Yeah. But she's definitely been through the ringer and, and that, yeah, we'll get to that when we get to her as for mm-hmm. sure. Alrighty. So we get into it here. Uh, we meet kind of out of the blue. I like when stories do this. I mean, it's kind of annoying in some ways, but I love it when you just introduce a character and then don't introduce them. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just, we introduce Michael as he's working with Michael, someone he works with. And as we learn throughout the novel, he's been working with for years. He just hasn't come up before. Yeah. Which when you get to know Michael Carpenter, it kind of actually makes sense that they they each have their lanes. And when their lanes- We don't have his last name even. We do now. Now we do. I did. Um, I suppose. Yeah. Is. No, I I don't know. He just, I didn't know that he didn't say it. Um, it's, it's again, weird. not it's interesting though. One of those things that isn't super spoilery. It also is a little bit on the nose. I mean, we already, right. We already know. Yeah. He's clearly a religious, very religious guy. Mm-hmm. And his name is Michael Carpenter. He mentions, you know, the namesake of the Archangel Michael. Yes. But uh, yeah, so he's. I, I he, have notes on that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> but it's I just know. Like, weird, right? I have notes on things. I'm shocked, honestly shocked. Uh, but I, I just like, I, I do like it. We you know, talk about different techniques for, you know, all the different. Again, everything has a technique. You know, a lot of ways to skin lots of cats um, in this cat skinning world of ours. <laughs> but introducing Michael as if he's always existed in this world mm-hmm. because he has, we just kind of like he did with Kim Delaney. Yeah, right. But instead of that was more of an introduction as opposed to this, just their mid their mid adventure, which yeah. is just kind which of I cool. love. I love yeah. that though. It's a great way. You know, so the name of this podcast is after a similar opening to a, a book a few novels down. I really want I can't wait till we get to it just as a ah, we did it. Um it's a family guy where where they're watching a movie and they say the title of the movie, he goes, ah. So when we get to that line, I'll just be a ridiculous fat person pointing at the screen. But... Leo DiCaprio, I mean. Exactly that. <laughs> um, thank you. I like that. Your description's a lot better than my description. So we're going to go with, we're gonna go with that one. Wonderful. If any, 20, any rich 21 to 24-year-old models are out there, um, Lissa's description is exactly right. So... Ah, uh, that's his wheelhouse. I honestly can't imagine. I'm not someone 22 years old. It just seems exhausting. Especially, not that like, well, our 22-year-old so. are awesome, but um, just it's a different. We're, we're in different lanes at this point. <laughs> so, uh, he and Michael are in the Beetle, and they are blasting across Chicago, which I, I just love every part. The Beetle, like the Duster like the staff and the gun in the pocket. There's just some things that are just very iconically Dresden. And again, it 
if you stop to think about it for like literally one second, there's this like six eight to six ten guy folded into a Volkswagen Beetle. So if you don't think about it, it's great. So I choose not oh, to think yes. about it. He they don't say most of the time. He's because he talks, here's but, I actually have a note regarding that. And since you brought it up, I'm bringing it up. Okay. So they just the description of the sword. Yeah. Five foot long sword. That's almost as tall as me. I literally wrote sword is almost as tall as me. Exclamation, exclamation. Michael must be huge. Well, it's a two handed. It's a it's a two handed long sword, right? Y- yes. Is that what broad sword. Is it's a broadsword. Yeah, I think is how they described it. And um, it's also five feet tall. I am barely five five. So it comes up to my eyes. You probably would wield like maybe a, maybe uh I mean I would try to I'll kiss his little, little a little dagger. I mean I would be very intent in uh very uh scary wielding that. It's interesting. He uh talks about remember Morgan's sword was also mm-hmm. uh ridiculously long. Yeah, so he talks about he talks about Michael being gigantic as well. So he's getting a just a, a two handed great sword. That's the way I was thinking of a great sword. Uh-huh. Kind of like like ice from Game of uh Song of Ice and Fire. Okay. Is uh Valyrian steel great sword, which is just a two is a two hander. You don't you don't wield that with one hand unless you're the mountain that rides, for instance, who gotcha. wields a great sword with one handed. But Harry just they just talk about him vaguely being tall. Yes. And I, I think at one point he specifically says six ten, but it, it, my head cannon is kind of six seven, six eight, just because he's gigantic. But he's definitely. We talked last week about women writing men writing women. Uh-huh. This is definitely a case of a shorter person writing a gigantic person. Gotcha. Like just, I, I say that as a short person, but he definitely some of the height stuff doesn't make sense when you doesn't jive. Yeah, when you take a step back. And clearly, that's Butcher writing not from his own experience. You know, he's not a bas- professional basketball player size, so he can fit in a Volkswagen Beetle comfortably. But uh, the Blue Beetle is blasting down Chicago roads. He talks about how he doesn't like driving fast. Tonight was an exception. And he's just blasting, you know, tires screeching as he round, rounds a no left turn sign. Mm-hmm. Michael, uh, who I really like this line as you get to know Michael more, can't, can't we go faster? It wasn't a complaint, but it's just a question. Calmly voiced. Like it's just, can we go any faster? And it's just like, <laughs> only if the wind, bo- wind gets behind us or we start going down a hill. <laughs> I love <laughs> it's that. Pretty good. The reality is we're in a Volkswagen B brother. We're going to get there when we get there. But, uh, mm-hmm. there's just a calm. You know, like I said, a lot of people like Michael and I'm one of them. I really do like Michael and not, yeah, he's definitely reading kind of people why people like different characters. It, it's kind of the, he's a very positive version of a devout Catholic Christian, but Catholic in this case, which isn't. It is a little like I say, it's a little on the nose. His last name is Carpenter, which we don't learn yet, but he is. He's just a good man, and his faith is a huge part of his his existence. But it's not. I don't. I don't feel like it's overwhelming and like over the top. It's it's just this is a really devout Christian guy who also fights monsters and certainly just an interesting character there. He's basically, he's a paladin, you know, is, is what he is. We've, we learned that already here, right? 
But as they're as they're driving, you know, eighty miles an hour around cur- turns in uh, rush hour traffic, he asks him about his relationship with Susan. You know, if he loves her, <laughs> there's uh, you know when when they're gonna get married, and. The hell's bells, Michael. We've been chasing all over town these past two weeks. Going up against every ghost and spirit. Oh, that's reared its ugly head. Uh, <laughs> we don't know what's causing the spirit world to go postal. It's just like, you're asking me about my love life right now. Like, come on, brother. And, timing. Uh, timing. Exactly. Timing is everything. And they they as they're having this conversation, he drives past a, a, a cop at about 20 miles over the speed limit. And it's just, it's just a great juxtaposition of this frantic crazy you know tires screeching around curves driving you know weaving through traffic and he's having a calm conversation about do you love her when do you think you're gonna get married why don't you say you love her have you told her this um but just there's one good quote in there he says harry dresden you of all people should know the power of words yes i like that highlighted that yeah it's just a great but also then he says i got her a card a hallmark. <laughs> Harry says this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Quite delightful. It's up. But, yeah. but he doesn't let up until Harry says, I love her. There. How's that? And Michael beamed. He scowlingly <laughs> says it. <laughs> I love her. There's <laughs> uh, another mention of mirrors just as he goes by he's you need to look in the mirror and see what's there harry he's i don't i don't like mirrors i don't like mirrors i love that uh, they, they mentioned elaine again which is again they just peppered that throughout that we know she's some lost love she was involved in the with his mentor potentially died in the fire you know we don't know much we don't know much but that name immediately brings him brings out anger in him yeah and he's already frustrated um, and we learned that Michael's a knight. We don't really know what that means, but he says he's a knight. And they they get to the hospital. They put they park illegally. They you know they make all sorts of basically every moving violation you can make. They hop out of the car basically right as it stops, and Michael pulls out a five foot long gigantic sword that Lissy touched on, and it is. I like everything else in this series. It's I, everything's either gigantic or funnily small. <laughs> and uh, it's a good point. The question where Harry's this stuff will kind of come up, or, but where Harry says, "Can't you leave the cloak off at least?" And you know, the cloak is as much as what I do as the sword, mm-hmm. which I like. It's that idea of it's all a package. Like the sword is part of what I do, but it's not. It's the sword isn't what I do. The yeah. part the sword is part of part of the process. Yeah. Um, again, kind of similar. It does kind of remind me of of Morgan in a lot of ways. I mean, they're described yes. similarly: gigantic, very strong, strongly. very, very well built dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're obviously both shorter than Alan Morgan. Might not be shorter, but most people are shorter than Harry. But they're they carry a lot more muscle than him. Both carry a gigantic great sword. Um, it's just really interesting because obviously Morgan we hate and we're supposed to hate, and Michael we generally love, um, even for all his proselytizing. He's just it's just a guy that I was seeing dichotomy. Yeah. I wonder if those two characters ever actually inter- interact. I'm trying to think if they do. That would be an interesting uh, fan fiction. But uh, they pull up to Cook County Hospital, which is a gigantic hospital in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And did he mention, he mentioned why they were going to Cook County earlier? Where is no. It? No, they did not. 
they're just going after a nasty old biddy at Cook County. And uh, the cops are coming in right behind it. Basically, there's cops hot on their heels. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right as they get there, as they're heading in, Michael he gives a short little prayer. And Harry feels a thrum of energy as he does it. This faith magic. Faith has power. We, we've learned that with his pentacle. Right? Why yes. the pentacle can keep the vampire out, even though it's not typical vampire lore, is you need a cross to, to you know keep a vampire at bay from back back in Stormfront. But he was able to use his pentacle amulet because that's what he believed in. He had faith in his magic, which was wavering a little bit last novel, and we'll see what happens with that. But in this case, you know, Michael has faith in the white god to protect him and Harry. And so there's there's a thrum of energy. There's power in faith. And, which... and I actually wrote down from for that words and will. Oh, yeah. I mean, so because... it basically is magic. Yeah. It's the same idea for sure. And that's, that was sort of the vibe I got from that, that it, this is just his magic. And you know what? That's actually great because the way Harry describes magic is it comes from within. It's, it's who mm-hmm. you are. It's, it's part of your being. And you use that to shape the world around you. Yes. That is great because I guarantee Michael would not like that description. No. Of magic. Michael's not no. doing magic. No. But that is actually really interesting. I, it, good, good catch, Liz. That was, that was I, I literally wrote that down and it, it was very much where it's his sacred version of magic. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I mean, I actually called it faith magic kind of on accident. Well, but the, well, the thing with that is also that he feels that energy. He felt that power, that oh, yeah. it, magic. I like that. They, they they describe or they they give us evidence right away that this isn't him bullshitting. Like there is yeah. power in what he does. Yeah. And like like he mentioned, you know, there's power in the cloak. He believes the cloak kind of shows off who he is. He's this knight or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the sword obviously shows that he's got a gigantic sword. <laughs> that guy should fucking run. But right. uh, but it's all part of who he is. And at the end of the day, it's his faith in, you know, his white god that is going to keep you know that's what gives him the power and the resolve to do what he needs to do mm-hmm. so harry has a, a a pouch of something uh he doesn't tell us what's in it yet but he's got that in his in his mouth he's got his blasting rod and his staff and they're running into the hospital and they, they run into an orderly <laughs> and obviously you got this gigantic guy in a, in a big cloak with a massive sword and a tall bean pole in a duster with a big stick, a little stick, and a freaking leather pouch in his mouth. And he's like, um, may I help you? <laughs> Honestly, though, if it's like, it's like a downtown hospital on a Saturday night. It's not really all that shocking. Which it's rush hour, so it's not a Saturday, okay. but yeah, okay. no, it's definitely. But it's the afternoon. Okay. Yeah, exactly. He's Harry, probably seen worse. Harry, with the, with the leather sack clutched between his teeth, said, hi, could you tell us where the nursery is? <laughs> oh right and then they take to the stairs this is a um my description for this entry opening to the scene is that it's the dichotomy of their movement is awesome because we have michael who is who understands that harry can't do the the elevator and electronics do not like him but uh michael led the way one hand on the rail one on the hilt of his sword his legs churning steadily i followed him huffing and puffing Michael paused by the door and looked back at me, white cloaks swirling around his calves. It took me a couple seconds to come grasping up behind him. Ready? He asked me. So Michael is just like taking two steps at a time, cruising up. And then there's there's Harry just like dying, running up the stairs. It's just a great dichotomy of the two of them. Because, you know, like you said, Michael is a hulking dude. 
And Harry's this scrawny little dude crawling up behind him. Basically, it's like when I hang out with my tall friends and I have told <laughs> I have short legs. I am not that short. I'm like five, 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 four and three quarters, but I have short legs. I have friends who have told me that when I walk next to them, I walk like a Pomeranian. <laughs> yes, I walk fast, but I have short legs. Yeah, so I have Pomeranian legs. And that is kind of like, while Harry is big, Michael is bigger. And yeah, it's and certainly more powerful, more physically imposing than exactly. this gigantic guy. Like, but I also love that as much, and this is something that I, why I want why one of the reasons why Michael is so popular mm-hmm. in the in the fandom. What do I call fans of this podcast? I made up a name. Oh, did one, you? One That's of the first episodes ago, I thought <laughs> maybe that made that might have gotten deleted out of out. Of, <laughs> I'm going to delete that too because I can't remember it. Um, he's why he's really popular with you know a lot of the fandom is we've shown he's shown how much how it, you know he has so much faith and that, that gives him power and strength, but he gets to the top he gets right to the the threshold of this whatever you know this mm-hmm. issue, and he stops because he also has faith in Harry. He stops and waits for Harry to catch up. Uh, he knows what Harry can do, and that like he has faith in Harry, and that is. I, I don't know. Is that spoilery? Maybe, maybe not. But that is in a moment that shows he, that. He shows that though here. Yeah. And it's just that, that one little moment. Again, it it may not look like much the first run through, but he stops and waits for Harry. And it, it's just, again, he, he's he's kind of the rock, you know, to Harry's wild card when they, when they have adventures. And Michael's not in every novel or anything like that, but he comes up. He's a recurring guy. And it, either way, I just, I, I love that one little mo- character moment there of him like, waiting and waiting for Harry to catch up a because you, know, you don't want to leave a guy huffing and puffing on the steps but also I, there he he knows that he's gonna need him and and obviously they don't have the same beliefs system but he there's there's room there's room for that you know I, I don't know I just I, I like their relationships great and it, that was just a good character moment yeah so uh, the other thing um another thing in the literally the first two pages Harry sets his, his rod and staff aside and lights a candle. Michael wrinkles his nose at the smell of the smoke and pushes open the door. It, to me, instantaneously, that's just, there's two, there's two ways this could go. Michael doesn't do smoke well for one reason or another, or that candle is a special candle and it smells funky when he lights it. Yeah, I, I, I actually, like, just made a note of that, which I didn't actually have any, like, thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. It just... It it's, it's it no jumped out thing. at me too. Yeah, it jumps out, and I don't, I don't. I mean, I, I don't. I, I when I say I read fast, I don't mean like, oh, I like a good reader. Like you, you, I just go through. I mean, I just like my mind kind of fills in blanks, and yeah, I just kind of run through it. Which is why the audiobooks are great to bounce back to. Um, where Marsters actually reads all the words. I didn't know that was possible. Reading them. <laughs> but she, uh, yeah, I, I don't think they go back to that, and maybe it's just you know. A, Nothing throwing. It's a weird throw. I mean, you know, when you light a match, there's that kind of acrid cell, but it, I don't know. It may or, or may not pile into my crockpot theory this week. I'm just saying. Oh, okay. Weird, weird <laughs> that he uses matches there. I mean, I guess there's just saving well, his energy, but just flick him big oh, that right. Well, but it also, that makes you think maybe that candle is, there's something else going on with that candle. 
Oh, oh yeah, that's fair too. Oh, I like it's a met. Well, and then we learn it it's, is. It clearly didn't make me think that. Oh, because <laughs> I'm an idiot. Oh, I like that. This is another reason I wanted to read these through with you is I'm reading through it. It's like I have a, like an annotated copy where they actually tell you what's happening in the book. This is great. Go but you know, but that's the thing where you know he lights the candle, and we learn that the candle is a magic candle. Uh, the candle shows that there's something. There's a bad guy there. And Harry uh, probably can't afford all the real ingredients, so there's like sulfur and shit. Like, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> it's probably but, a janky, like, fake version of the scandal that the Bob helped him put together. So ex- probably. Well, and the thing is, so they they're walking down the hallway, and they get the lights weren't just flickering where they ended up. They were all together gone. It was entirely dark, and he takes he's he steps past Michael, and the flame of his candle burned down to a cold, clear pinpoint of blue light. Michael, I said, my voice strangled to hushed urgency. It's here. So that candle is, it's a seeking candle. It's a candle that allows him to know that something is there. And uh, Michael says, Faith, Harry. And then he draws his sword. Um, and of course, I did a little Google work on the sword. Did not read any spoilers, I promise. But did you know Amaricus has its own urban dictionary page? Amaracius. Amaracius, sorry. Um, but yeah, I thought that was cool. But it's, it's, own, it's wait, it's own Urban Dictionary page. Did you look at it? Yes, it just mentions that it's Michael's sword from uh, from Dresden Files. But I was like, that's pretty sweet. Well, I think Urban Dictionary is like Wikipedia. Anyone can add something, you know? Oh, totally, hundred percent, hundred percent. But I, I thought that was cool. Also, yeah. in that, I just looked it up right now. What after you said that, and they spelled series wrong. So I don't know how much oh. we can trust. I mean, it is Urban Dictionary. Um, but, you know, the, the other one other thing that I saw in my... Also, if you haven't read, if, do not go to that because there isn't a spoiler in that Urban Dictionary oh, page. I just, I didn't, I really just, I didn't look too closely at it because I didn't, like I told you before, before we started recording, I did Google a couple things because I was like, I wonder, that's a very specific name. I wonder if it has other meaning, if there's some historical context. BT dubs, it doesn't. But I didn't look at anything too closely because I didn't want to be spoiled. Um... But anyway, we have a description of the sword. The great blade's polished steel gave off a lambent glow as Michael stepped forward to stand beside me in the darkness and the air fairly thrummed with its power. Michael's own faith amplified a thousandfold. That's pretty cool. But it's very much that like two warriors stepping in to go to battle. Harry with his candle and Michael with his sword. <laughs> and that? and we, talk, we talk a lot about like cinematic. What that made me think of, and probably because uh, I spent more hours of my life playing Diablo 2 than doing just about anything else um, back from way back when, but is seems like a cutscene of a video game. Like, how you got like a, a paladin stepping in and the, the sorcerer, you know, or it just... It's just, it's just, I mean, we talk about the, the cinematic, you know, and that I guess you could phrase it that way, but that makes me think of a video game of like, yeah. you know, you get to a certain, you get to a certain door and it shows a cut scene and they walk in, you know, and it, it just, that's, no, that's it, where my brain went. And yeah. probably just because of the paladin connection. But I can totally see that very, very video game graphic kind of a moment. At I, a night level 97 paladin, never got to 99. I don't care with any of that. I know you so. don't. <laughs> Um, I glance at the sword, at its long, slender spike of metal set into its crossguard. Perhaps it was only my imagination, but I thought I could see flecks of rust still upon it. Probably rust, I reasoned. Sure, rust. We don't, we're not told what this is, but 
Okay. There are part of my crackpot theory has to do with Michael not being as he seems. And this made sense to me. And of I will. Of course, we can't, we can't have any human beings. No. No, no vanilla mortals in the series. No. no. Why would we do that? Uh, hey, Karen is, is, is mortal. Oh, there you go. Or uh, is she? Or is she? Uh, okay. So, again, I have literally, like, my, you, this is what you get for giving me a crackpot theory. <laughs> Out. So. Sorry. I, I, I know. I love it. I love every part of our crackpot theory. It's fantastic. I, I have a creative mind. That's part of the problem with the crackpot theory, where it's like, I also tend to fixate on things. So that is why for the past, like Marcone being Marcone, not being fully human. I, it's a, definitely a fixation, but it's not one of those like paranoid things where it's like, oh, that's what it means. Oh, that's what it means. But because I have to create this, I can create stories in my head and backstories for things. And uh, it's it's fun. When I was in college, I was a playwriting major and my friends and I would go study at Caros in Santa Barbara, Galita, and we would watch people and create stories for them. And I still to this day do this and with some of those friends, but also with other friends where it's just like, oh my God, that's totally a first date. They totally got it set up by like her sister or her roommate, somebody she knows really well. And she's doing this just to be really nice because I don't think she's interested, you know, shit like that. But this is just on a different level. <laughs> anyway. Well, I mean, just like Michael, if you have enough belief in it. Exactly. You can affect the world around you. So the power of belief. Maybe Marcone is a weird spider alien because you, <laughs> because you believe he is. Oh my goodness. With a soul. Somehow he's a weird spider alien with a soul. Hey, you know, who knows? Uh, okay. So we have now learned that Bob told us about this ghost, Agatha Hagglethorn. And so, you know, he tells Harris tells Michael, stay back. I, you know, I'm good. And, you know, Michael says, no, it, it's safer if I go first. And trust me, a ghost would feel the sword coming before you even got to the door. That tells us how much power and energy is in that sword based off of Michael's faith. And then, okay, so I had to Google Hush Little Baby because I'm like, when, where's, the, where's the root of that? It's too early. It comes too late for this time period that she came from. So huh. it actually, the first annotated version of it, um, or notated, so I collected a notated version, was from 1918, and it didn't become popular until 1929, 1935. But it was common in the South, Virginia, North Carolina. So it would be an anachronism. Yes, it would definitely be an anachronism, because it was also... Which is a, which is a really fun word. It is. But she also is from 19, 19th century Chicago, which would be 1800s. Like late, yeah, late 1800s. I mean, there's is there a universe where you know, like you said, this was who cares if it was written down yeah. I and mean, when it, or when it was popularized? Is there a well, universe actually, that you know the other version of it didn't have these same words? Huh. Yeah, so this is the more modern version of it, and it's just me being a stickler because I was curious. I look shit like that up. What does that dog mean? Where does that come from? Because nursery rhymes always have a dark, deep, disturbing meaning 90% of the time, <laughs> you know. Anyway, so we learn, we get a little bit more um, magic action, and we and Harry talks about the pentacle. We have the faith Michael has in the sword, and Harry's faith in the pentacle. And so he steps into the dark room and said, "I could not, I couldn't see, but I'm not a wizard for nothing. I thought of the pentacle upon my breast, over my heart, the silver amulet that I had inherited from my mother, 
It was a battered piece of jewelry, scarred and dented from uses for which it was never intended. But I still wore it. <laughs> the five-sided star within the circle was a symbol of my magic, of what I believed in, embodying the five forces of the universe working in harmony, contained inside of human control. That's just awesome. But again, he focuses his will, and the amulet begins to glow a gentle blue-silver light, which spread out before me in a subtle wave, showing me the shapes of fallen chair, of a fallen chair and a pair of nurses at the desk behind a counter, slumped forward over their stations, breathing deeply. And this is where we learn about the enchanted sleep. And the singing had a subtle magic that was strong. And Harry gets brought under it for a moment and then he realizes it yet and even knowing what to expect i had barely sensed its touch in time so this is a very powerful magic that is very subtle and that's where where this power comes from is that the subtlety of it because if you hit in the face with something you 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 know it's coming you recognize it but if it suddenly creeps up your your, your you know creeps up your spine you're not going to notice it and that's the really cool part with this so he walks into the nursery and walking among them visible in the glow of my wizard's light was the source of the singing agatha hagglethorne had not been old when she died she wore a proper high-necked shirt as was appropriate to a lady of her station in 19th century chicago and a long dark no-nonsense skirt i could see through her to the little crib behind her but other than that she seemed solid real that's cool like she's she's there she's very significant but she's slightly see-through like just is really trippy and a great description and she's got a stump on the end of her left wrist which also very clear you can see it in your head and she had a captivating singing voice literally she lilted out her song spun energy into the air that lulled listeners into deeper and deeper sleep and we learned that, you know, if she continued to do this, she's going to kill everybody. And they're just going to think, oh, it's carbon monoxide or something innocuous, something else innocuous. Because as we've learned, the greater world doesn't believe in the supernatural. Harry says, you know, he's got enough of that ghost dust to knock her out, to get rid of her. So he has a ghost dust and we don't understand the ghost dust completely. We get a name for it. Just like Michael. We, we, this is Michael. He's here. He's got enough ghost dust. Yeah, okay. Good. I'm glad we I'm glad we have enough ghost dust today. But I love how he doesn't take the time because it's urgent. We're in an urgent place and time in the world. And I love that. That we're so urgent here, we don't need to describe it. And that I really like how it's just like, oh, this is just something. And there's there's we've discussed uh Court of Thorn and Roses, and there are certain things in that where it's just this is the norm. And as you go through, you learn more details about it and why and how. But it's like, this is just the norm. This is world building here. We have ghosts. I also, you know, we talked about how, like, who is reading this story? Who is he telling this story for? Obviously for us, but that would be Butcher's telling it for us. And maybe Harry is as well. But, you know, we talked last week or last, two weeks ago about there's some wonkiness around that. Mm-hmm. You know, presumably we just know what Ghost Dust is. You know, whoever yes. his audience is might, might. I don't know. I'm just, just another thought there mm-hmm. that maybe we just are supposed to know what ghost dust is, yeah. um, which you know, may or may not jive with some of the other descriptions in, in the book. But um, it's just, a, like you said, it, again, it stands out as really interesting because it, it doesn't fucking matter what ghost dust is. Yes. Like we're, we're, we're busy, like I got shit to do. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's really cool. 
And so we move on. We've got the ghost us. He enters the room where Agatha Hagglethorn is, which, by the way, he uses her full name every time he states, every time he talks about her. And that goes back, in my mind, to names are important. She's not a demon. She's not a human. But she's a ghost. So that's something on the supernatural plane that saying her full name has impact, has power, has some sort of significance. Yeah, so when he's describing her, he does a couple times say Agatha or, or something like that. But every time he says it, he's he, he's using her full name. I, it's which I, I is I think he stands is even cooler because sometimes he talks about her to us to the audience about Agatha, but every time he says that loud, he is making sure he uses the full power of using her name. I love it. Yeah, and, but that's one of the things where it's those names we've been reiterating how important names and words are. This is a perfect example. But then we learned that Harry must speak her name to vanquish her. He has to get her attention. He says, time had run out. In a perfect world, I would have simply dumped the dust onto the ghost. But it's not a perfect world. Ghosts don't have to play by the rules of reality. And until they acknowledge that you're there, it's tough. Very, very tough to affect them at all. Confrontation is the only way. And even then, knowing the Shade's identity... And speaking its name aloud is the only sure way to make it face you. And, better and better, most spirits can't hear just anyone. It takes magic to make a direct call to the hereafter. That's fucking rad. That's just, it's just so succinct. It's so specific. But it works so well. And so he gets Agatha's attention. She's, oh, she's saying you know she doesn't believe just she's you know what are you doing in my nursery he says you're dead you're a ghost and he's telling her what happened and he feels guilty about it you know he feels bad but the spirit looked at looked at me with an expression of lost lonely confusion this was the hard part about dealing with really substantial dangerous ghosts they were almost human they appeared to be able to feel emotion to have some degree of self-awareness Ghosts aren't alive, not really. They're a footprint in stone, a fossilized skeleton. They are shaped like the original, but they aren't it. So he tells, you know, that tells Agatha that she died more than a century ago, repeating her full name each time. And she says, no, 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 I don't want to hear this. And then he, you know, says, this is what you did, Agatha. She, she, her husband was abusive and she killed her, her daughter on accident and then took an axe. And she said, I took my axe, my axe, my axe, and gave my Benson 20 whacks, which is a little Lizzie Borden-esque, which I, oh, I appreciated that anyway. Very, very clearly. You know, Lizzie Borden. For, for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, and then the other thing, then in that moment, the spirit grew, expanding, and a ghostly wind rustled through the room, emanating from the ghost and rife with the smell of iron and blood. That's creepy as fuck, first off. Wind starts blowing and you smell blood. Oh, shit. Nothing good can come of this. Because she was just talking about whacking her husband with an axe. What smell would be there? Iron and blood. So this is kind of a weird, like, ah, oh, fuck moment in time. And Josh urine also. So uh, battle, there, there is a battle between our heroes and the ghost. And she basically suffocates a baby girl or is trying to ghostly suffocate and it truly starts like this is this was the the battle moment this is the moment 
Um, Agatha's head whipped towards me as I came, and she jerked away from the child with a snarl. Her hair had come free in the gale and spread about her face in a ferocious mane, well suited to the feral features that had replaced her gentle expression. She drew back her left hand, and there suddenly appeared, floating just above her stump, a short, heavy-handed hatchet. She shrieked and brought the hatchet down on me. Ghostly steel chimed on true iron. Ghostly steel chimed on true iron, and Amarachius's light flared bright white. Michael slid his feet into position on the floor, gritting his teeth with effort, and kept the spirit weapon from touching my flesh. Dresden, he called, the dust. I fought my way forward through the wind, shoved my fist into Agatha's weapon arm, and shook loose some of the ghost dust from the leather sack. This is where we find out the power of the ghost dust. Upon contact with her immaterial flesh, the ghost dust flared into blazing motes of scarlet light. Agatha screamed and jerked back, but her arm remained in place as if firmly as if it had been set in concrete. So her arm is still in the kid, which is awful and horrible. And the arm and hatchet collapsed to the floor in a sudden spatter of clear semi-fluid gelatin, the remnants of the spirit flash when the spirit was gone. The wind dies down, the lights continue to flicker, and they think, okay, we're good. And the baby's crying. This was kind of a funny thing. He he looks at her name, and her name is Allison Ann Summers. And uh, she's... Do you, do you, do you, do you yes. get the reference there? <laughs> to Buffy uh-huh. Ann Summers? Is, That's what kind of from. Absolutely. Well, also yeah, kind of sad related. Ann Summers is a uh, lingerie and sex store sh- shop in um, uh, England. Michael Michael says t- to take tells him to take his finger out of her mouth because it's dirty. <laughs> and what happens now? I'll ward the room and then we'll get out of here before the police show up. And and then the baby jerks and something cold passes over her and the distant drone of a mad lullaby. Michael, I cried. She's still here. The ghost. She's reaching here from the never, never. That's some fucking power. So, and he looks around the room and the infants were falling silent one by one, little cries abruptly smothered mid-breath. And Michael is saying, we've got to go. We've got to go to the other side. And Harry's terrified because his godmother, who we don't, we don't know a lot about. We don't, we do know, I believe we've learned at the end of the last book, he's got a fairy godmother. Well, it's not just um, his, his godmother. It's, they're going to... You know, he says she'll tear us apart. Like, you know, yeah. like, like Agatha, on her turf her. now in the never, never in her. It, exactly. On your home turf mm-hmm. is very important in all of these supernatural. Uh, yes, you know, definitely. All of these supernatural engagements. Definitely. You know, that definitely is true. So Michael urges Harry. He's like, we got to go. We've got to go. And Harry is afraid. But all of the babies are are silent now. And he closed the sack of ghost dust and put it in his pocket. saying it wouldn't do him any good in the never, never. He says a spell and Michael's good old, good old Michael says that, you know, you have a good heart, Harry Dresden. God will smile on this choice. And this sounds like something I would probably say or Joshi would probably say. Yeah. Ask him not to Sodom and Gomorrah in my apartment. We'll be even. (laughs) So spectacular. And he says, this is another great visual. Then I reached out, called hold of reality in my fingertips with an effort of will and whispered, a parturum tore a hole between this world and the next. You can see him reaching out and just like snapping his fingers or something and then just a portal opening. That's what I saw in my head at least. And 
damn, what a good, what a good end of the chapter. But that's, that's, I mean, this is a big moment. He's just, he's just peeling reality apart, which is just cool visualization. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's also a very long, meaty chapter, and it's, mm -hmm. it gets bookended by two very tiny short ones. <laughs> uh, them's the breaks. This is where we, you know, we talked about, they, they play around with the, uh, you know, it's nonlinear tale here, at least for the first arc. And um, this is the flashback to his mundane day. That's what I like. That even in days that culminate in a grand bat battle against an insane ghost and a trip across the border between this world and the spirit realm usually start out pretty normally. This one, for example, start off at breakfast and then work at the office. You know, we go back to his office where we have, I don't think we've been there since um, Stormfront. Maybe, maybe he was there briefly in uh, Fool Moon, but... Yeah. No, he was because the... Um... Oh, he met Marcone. Marcone in the dark. Yeah. Marcone in, in, it was in there. My Hendrix. Yeah. Marcone and Hendrix in a dark, locked office. Mm-hmm. He's getting another description of the office. And he's got some uh, pamphlets and magic in you. And why witches don't sink any faster than anyone else. A wizard's <laughs> perspective. <laughs> some Just some, you know, good lore. That's... Yeah. He's got the sign on the door that says Harry Dresden, wizard, which is one of the very first things we saw in mm -hmm. the series. He's got a sink, a you know, whatever, just a pretty standard, boring PI office. Again, very standard, tropey noir. He's going through, he's got a bunch of junk mail, uh, a check from the Chicago PD. No, that'd been a nasty case, a demon summon summoning, human sacrifice, black magic, the works. That may or may not come back up. Who knows? Who's, who's, hey, really? <laughs> He's going to call Michael to offer to split the money with him. He did a lot of the work, and Amarakius did did some work as well. Uh, Harry got the sorcerer. Michael got the demon. The good guys what won the day. He's really got to up his rates. He's still at 50 bucks an hour, and they literally stopped a sorcerer and a demon. I mean, come on. I mean, that's pretty hardcore. Pretty specialized line of work. I would, I'm just saying, you, you probably... I, I agree. What, the, the market will bear more than $50 an hour, is all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, In this particular situation. Yeah. And he really did not even need to say that Michael would refuse the money for us to know that Michael would refuse them. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, he, gets, he gets a call from Miss Rodriguez, his, uh, uh -huh. his lady friend. Susan Rodriguez, mm -hmm. uh, they kind of catch us up. Then we talk about different ways to do exposition. This is a good way to do exposition. You know, they talk about the useless rag that publishes a story about witches, ghosts, and Bigfoot. Plus Elvis, don't forget the game. And I'm syndicated now. Pl publications of questionable reputation all over the world carry my column. Uh, great way, great way to, to bring us up to speed on where she's at. Uh -huh. um, I love that. So, so, so flow, you know, so much more mature exposition than we had before. He talks about, uh, hey, sorry. She said, well, my boyfriend stood me up last night. And he's like, yeah, sorry, Bob found a tip. And she is very much not Susan right now. She is Miss Rodriguez. I'm, I'm not calling to talk about my personal life, Mr. Dresden. Mm -hmm. This is a business call, which uh, is just a fun little quirk there. And, they, you know, they, they talk about the ghosts and stuff. And, and she extorts some information out of him with promises of sex and <laughs> or withholding sex, I guess, which is, you know, not exactly a healthy but it was done in jest for the most part here mm -hmm. says she'll put in a good word with his his girlfriend and you know they just basically she wants to know more about what's going on why with all these crazed spooks he tells her he'll give her the rundown and they're gonna have they schedule another date for tonight 
mm-hmm. at his place at nine o'clock. And surely he'll be able to make that and then be happily ever after. He hangs he hangs up with her. <laughs> I do like that she's mentions him standing her up and he was out, you know, she was out with his friend horsing around with his friends. He's like, Yeah, that Michael, that's that's the guy. It's <laughs> just kind of funny. So they uh you know catch some speed, there's werewolves and sorcerers and stuff. And then he's so he he's basically done for the day. He's about to lock up and head out. He's actually already in the hallway. And a young woman says, Mr. Dresden, are you Harry Dresden? I said, Yep, but I'm leaving. Let's set up an appointment for tomorrow. And she does the woman in distress thing, which if you know Harry at all, you know that we all know. He's unlocking that door. <laughs> she says, Only you can help me. Uh, he actually does try still. He's again he's showing a maturing wizard here. He says, I'll be glad to, first thing in the morning. But she grabs his hand and he gets that tingle. We we talked about you get that tingle where basically anytime practitioners physically touch each other, there's like a you know, you get a little zap, kind of static electricity kind of thing. And obviously the more powerful the more you get. Just kind of a cool there, you know, there's so much power thrumming through them that if you're in tune with that power in the universe, you would be, you would feel that resonating through them basically, right? So that she shows that he, she does have some power. And again, you just, they, they both feel it. Interesting description of her where he says the lines of her face were soft and sweet and her skin was pale as chalk around eyes that were sunken, shadowed, and glittering with alley cat wariness. Which is interesting. It's a young woman who needs help and he's just describing what she looks like. Mm-hmm. I, I wondered if I like accidentally had ripped out a page of describing what size her breasts were, but I couldn't find it. This is how you describe human beings. You just, she's what. Well, he also describes her as being very young. And I wonder if that's part of it. He says young woman. No, but he later says. Where oh, does he later? Okay. Yeah. Well, that uh, may not stop him. <laughs> oh. But he said something about how uh, a adolescent boy would be super stoked to see her or something like that. Yeah, there always has to be a reason, bro. You know, but it, yeah. it is definitely just a mundane description of a female mm-hmm. character. Yeah. All right. I mean, credit where credit's due. I guess the, the lowest bar possible. We're treating women like you. Give it a. We're treating. Give it a. We're man. treating women like human beings. Nope. This is my chapter. <laughs> But yes, give it give it a second and we'll 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 bounce back. But uh, that's why I had to give credit before we bounce back. <laughs> but he uh, he recognizes she's a practitioner and she says yes. But I and I need your help. They said you would help me. Which is interesting. I wonder who they are. I wrote that down too. He <laughs> <laughs> says he gives lessons. Um, although his last apprentice probably would would not leave him a five two stars <laughs> mr dresden well that's not his last apprentice though and kim delaney oh doesn't he imagine in some one of these chapters he mentions that he's helping somebody out oh he it... keeps catching his cat on fire oh yeah you're the, a, a, a pyromancer he, there we go he is doing that i just remember catching the cat on fire i listened to it twice and i was just like that makes me giggle <laughs> it was very funny but uh yeah so one of his last kim delaney was was the reference there that wouldn't say he does a great job helping people avoid hurting themselves with uncontrolled talent, but, and uh, she said she wants your protection. And if I don't have it, I'm not sure I'll live through the night. Ugh. 
So we're in chapter four and Harry, as we know, has a thing for ladies in distress. He will help. So he goes back into the office, flips the light on the bulb blues. I couldn't say that. The bulb blows and they're kind of sitting in the dark. He's okay. pulls the chair. Up. I, I do like that. You know, you said you said it and he mentions he's got the chivalry streak a mile wide and twice as deep or whatever. But the back to back lines are. I need your help. You know, if, if, I, if I don't get your help, I might not survive. I was back in the office. It's just like the magic words, abracadabra, were immediately turning. Yep. Not, oh, no, what's going on? It's like, boom. <laughs> if I don't have it, I'm not sure I'll live through the night. I, I let us both back into the office and flip. Yeah, there's a, a puff of smoke where Harry was standing yeah. on his way back to unlock the door. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it is funny, but it's very Harry. Oh, yeah. It's very it's, hairy. That's not it's even that. Exactly. It's not great. That's not even that bad. You know, I mean, like, no, it's not. This is how but you he's yeah. got to rescue everybody. Oh, yeah. Especially young women. But this is like, yes. this is how he, I, I'm guessing he meant, but this is how Stormfront should have been. You know, yeah. Where you want to help people in distress. You want to help young ladies in distress because why wouldn't you? It doesn't yes. need to make you a fucking creep show. <laughs> no, and now that's the problem in Stormfront is he yeah. it made him a bit of a creep show. hundred. And this is the same. This is the same character flaw description, whatever characterization, mm-hmm. but it's done in a way that's not creepy. It's he he even better. turns away the sexual advance here. You know, it's just mm-hmm. a, it's just this is how you do that that character note. This is exactly yes. this is a this is exactly how you do it. I love it. Sorry, very true. No, no, no. I agree completely. And that, and you're right. This is the, a better version. Okay. So, you know, he's like, hey, well, you know, I, I got to know a few things about you first. And, and uh, she pushes back her asphalt colored hair with one hand and gave me a look of pure calculation. Then she simply crossed her legs so that the cut of her dress left one pale leg bare to mid thigh. A subtle motion of her back thrust out her young, firm breasts so that their tips were pressed visibly against the fabric. Of course, Mr. Dresden, I'm sure we can do business. The look she gave me was direct, sensual, and willing. Nipple erection on command. Now that's method acting. Oh, she was pretty enough, I suppose. Any adolescent male would have been drooling and hurling himself at her. But I'd seen acts a lot better. I rolled my eyes. That's not what I meant. I do like that he rolled his eyes. He responded appropriately here, but like, really? This all the her young firm breasts and nipple erection on command is kind of funny, not gonna lie. But then you know, she's I'm not gay. I'm not buying what you're selling. You haven't told me your name, but you will uh, but you're willing to spread your legs for me? No thanks. Hell's bells. Haven't you ever heard of AIDS? Herpes? Which is just a funny and any and really is appropriate for Harry's character though. Oh yeah. No, this is like I, I do like that. No, no, no. Like it's real that was really great. I really appreciated that. And I'm gonna tell you this though. Really? This is not mm. me giving. It's going to sound creepy, and I, I've already realized. I'm already doing. I'm already mid sentence. I'm just <laughs> the trains. The trains going down the tracks. It's happening. Uh huh. He if he if Harry fucking Dresden doesn't over sexualize you in your first description, like you're not your first reaction to him not taking his pants off when you you do your little act isn't oh he must be gay. <laughs> Like, I'm sure she 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 sounds very pretty, but Harry Dresden didn't sexualize you. You, you clearly aren't batting a thousand here, lady. <laughs> very true. Very true. Okay, it's just, it's, uh. That's another, these little gay panic moments that come up that 
Yeah. And again, we talked about this last week. It's in and of itself. It's just a kind of funny, like, oh, no, I'm not gay. I don't want to AIDS herpes. Like that's in and of itself. That is fine. It's just, it was a pattern of like little gay panic lines throughout that yeah. started the second or third we've seen, which again, not the end of the world. That is, he's a product of the world you live in and mm-hmm. things that we wouldn't think twice. Yeah. This is stuff that's on sitcoms in the early night, in the early aughts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's a different world, but it, it's stuff that very clearly in 2023, if it doesn't make you feel like what, like why? Why are we, yeah. why is that, why is that where we're jumping Why to? is that where we go? Yeah. And yeah, how, oh, I'm okay. Oh, no. Yeah. I don't know. No, I, I totally, I totally get that. Um, But, you know, he's, he's being a moderately decent human in this moment. So it's like, all right, cool. Damning with faint praise. Right. Exactly. Um, You know, and he's, he tells her, you don't try lying to me. It won't do you any good. He's like, which was only a marginal lie in itself. Being a wizard doesn't make you a walking lie detector. And I wasn't going to try a soul gaze on her to find out if she was sincere and wasn't worth it, which is reasonable. So, you know, he says, I want, what, what do you want to know? I want your name for starters. You think I'm going to give that to a wizard? Like, come on, bro. And Harry <laughs> should know better than to ask for that right out the chute. Right. But, you know, I mean, that's, that is a normal, like, human interaction. interaction. But she is also a practitioner, so that makes sense. And she says, Lydia, call me Lydia. Which in my head, I think of Lydia from Beetlejuice. <laughs> oh, I think of Lydia, our old neighbor. Oh, that very different frames of reference on that one. Very, very different, different people. So I carry on. Yes, quite. Okay, so Lydia, she's you're a practitioner of the art. Tell me about it. It doesn't have anything to do with this, what I want from you, Mr. Dresden. And he's like, okay, you're not fucking telling me everything. What the fuck do you want? And, you know... If you're into some kind of gang-related trouble, I'm going to recommend that you head for the police. I'm not a bardig. I'm not a bodyguard. And she's like, nothing like that. And, and I need a talisman, something to protect me from a hostile spirit. That made me sit up and take notice, metaphorically speaking. With the city flying into spiritual chaos as it was, I had no trouble believing that a girl gifted with magical talent might be experiencing some bad phenomena. Ghosts and spooks are drawn to the magically gifted. She doesn't know what kind of spirits after her. She just needs a talisman. She needs something that will protect her. And around his left wrist at that very moment was a talisman made from a dead man's shroud, blessed silver, and a number of other more difficult to come by ingredients. And he's like, okay, why why do you need why are you in danger? She's like, I can't tell you. And this is a moderately cringy moment. My first rampant instincts were to give her a cup of hot chocolate, put a blanket around her shoulders, and tell her everything would be all right, and strap my talisman to her wrist. Oh, dear God. Though this is kind of funny. I tried to rein those in, though. Down, Quixote. Just a funny little play on Don Quixote. Uh, I know not, still know nothing about her situation or what she needed protection from. For all I know, she was trying to stave off an avenging angel coming after her in retribution for some act so vile that it stirred the powers that be to take immediate action. Even villainal ghosts sometimes come back to haunt someone for a darned good reason. Look, Lydia, I don't like to get involved in anything without knowing something about what's going on. Which hadn't slowed me down before. I know that. <laughs> Fantastic. That was such a great aside. Oh my god, and it's so hairy. And she says that... She asks him, do you know what Cassandra's tears is, Mr. Dresden? It's a prophetic condition. Basically, she's, she has visions. Um, and I actually, Cassandra is a Greek myth, is from a Greek myth. And I I couldn't remember what all the details of the myth were. But it's so 
she was a Trojan priestess dedicated to the god Apollo and fated by him to utter true prophecies, but to never be believed. In modern usage, her name is employed as a rhetorical device to indicate a person whose accurate prophecies generally of impending disaster are not believed. Perfect, re perfect reference. I love it. It's fantastic. And he says, all right, you say that you have this gift. I guess you want me to believe that one of your visions warned you about an evil spirit coming after you. We learned that she's had visions in the past of the, someone trying to kill the president, a disaster at NASA, and an earthquake in Laos. But she's had three for this. And he's trying to hold his instincts in to help her to be, you know, the, she's the damsel in distress and he wants to be the knight, the white knight. And uh, he says he's been played for the sucker before. She was obviously a competent actress. We've already experienced that with her, her, uh, her code switching. He also makes a good point. He says, unless I was grossly misreading her, she had bartered sex for goods and services before. And she was awfully young to be so jaded about the entire matter. I mean, that's pretty gnarly, but it's true. And, you know, he's trying going back and forth between it. Is he the local, quote, local dummy? And she says, of course, I could be lying about Cassandra's tears. And I could be lying. Cassandra's tears can't be analyzed or observed. I could be using it as an excuse to provide a reasonable explanation why you should help a lady in distress. And then she tells him about the vision. Fire, she said. Wind. I see dark things and a dark war. I see my death coming for me out of the spirit world. And I see you at the middle of it. You're at the beginning, the end of it. You're the one who can make the path go different ways. I mean, it's pretty gnarly. But his response, that's your vision? Iowa has less corn. <laughs> and she's like, I see what I see. And he said, look, I think you're overreacting here. Take a few days. Take a few days and we'll see where we're at. And she just kind of physically looks defeated. And she says, okay, sorry, I've kept you late. And gets up and start walking out. And he falls for it. Whether it's truth or not, he falls for it. He gives her his talisman and sees scars on her wrist and appear to be a suicide attempt and he tells her faith magic works best against spirits if you're worried get to a church spirits are strongest just after the sun goes down around the witching hour and again just before the sun comes up he tells her to go to saint mary's of the angels and and tell the priest there that a michael's friend sent him and then she'll be safe she starts to cry because he he believes her and he says, maybe, maybe not, but things have been bad in the past few weeks, and I'd rather not have you on my conscience. But he sends her on her way to safety, and he gives up his talisman, a very strong talisman. And he tell calls himself an idiot for it. Uh, and he thinks, you know, she's probably a plant. They probably sent her to you just to get the talisman off you so that they can eat you up the next time to spoil, you go spoil their fun. I mean, that is one way to see it. Then the phone rings, and it's this very mysterious call. Soon, soon, Dresden, we will see one another again. It's like, who the fuck is this? Does it, but again, so they've seen each other before. That's the key on this one. They've seen each other before. There's some sort of thing there. But this also in my notes, I said, is this our mystery spook sender? Uh, because we learned at the, last, at the end of the last level that, you know, somebody's stirring shit up. And is this them? Um, hmm. but just, you know, a, 
obviously overanalyzing, but that's what we're doing here, right? And he said, all right, then. I said to my voice a little, a little too loud in the office. Thank God that wasn't too creepy. And then the radio pipes up and we hear Bob. And this is fantastic. This is some great magical war. This is some great, like, just the, the norms of a scene. Yeah, it's really cool. I love it. I love that they're using the, it's an old radio, so it's less, there's going to be less interference from Harry, but that the power that, 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 uh, Bob can basically just use some like electricity, which I thought was really neat. So apparently we learn about my contact come through, came through Cook County Hospital tonight. Someone stirred up Agatha Hagglethorn. This is a bad one, Harry. She is one mean old biddy. Uh, Bob gave me the rundown on Agatha Hagglethorn's grisly and tragic death and her most likely target at the hospital. I glanced down at my bare left wrist and I felt abruptly naked. All right, I said, I'm on it. Thanks, Bob. Interesting, though, where we learn is left wrist is where the talisman was, and that's the hand she's missing. Uh, and he heads out to be on his way, and Michael appears, and he says, Michael, how did you get here? When there is a need, he sees to it that I am there. E capital H. And here he's like, Tom, you're kidding. And then Michael, of course you've been, of course, you've been in the past, you've been in touch with me every night for the past two weeks. Tonight I thought I'd just save him the trouble of arranging a coincidence. So I came over as soon as I got off work, which was spectacular. And then they get into the Beetle and head to where we saw them at the beginning. And that's the end. So we are back in the never never in the present day, I guess. And they they jump into what looks like old timey Chicago, which is kind of interesting. It is her denizen which she created out of what she knows so it just looked like part of chicago for the end of the 19th century and kind of a mishmash of of real life and and you know and her own crazy thoughts i guess this is her this is her home home turf we're already kind of in trouble here he makes a mention that the ghost dust which you know kind of ended up tearing her arm off it in the never never it was so powerful he said it could basically rip the fabric of the place apart, which is crazy uh, and, and really interesting. So he puts it away into his, into his uh, pocket, I believe. And Michael asks him, you know what I'm about to ask? What's that made of? Said, Depleted uranium. And that's the base ingredient. We got cold iron, basil, dung from it. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Don't want to know. Just <laughs> use what you need. And they go, they go through. Uh, he sees everything's made, everything. Uh, buildings, sidewalks, streets. Everything's made of wood. It's just like, hell's bells. No wonder the real Chicago kept burning down. I love Just that. like fun reference. Well, I guess, are they fun references to? I love good historical. Good like, histories. Yeah. I, mean, I, I just wouldn't call those experiences fun. That was more questioning myself yeah. than Harry. Fun. But it's a fun reference for the way that it deems, because this isn't reality. Yeah. And they're trying to find, they don't know where she is. She, we, obviously, we know she's here somewhere. We don't know where. And Harry says that, you know, we got to find her fast and we need to get a get a look at this one if we can mm -hmm. to try to find it, you know, try to figure out what's stirring them up. And Michael's like, didn't didn't you already get a look at her? Not the right kind of look. So presumably he's going to take a peek at her with his sight is the idea there. Oh, I didn't get that part. That makes sense, though. And, and he, he's about to say, which I love that it gets cut off because it's a dumb cliche that people do in these types of stories all the time. And it's stupid. I hate to say it, but I think we should. He's going to say split up. But as before he says it, 
uh, the road underneath him explodes as Agatha Hagglethorne jumps out. Uh, she does knock Michael one way and him the other. And she's yelling, Angel's mine! Ah! About the, the, the babies. And she's very real now. So in her own home ten- turf, in her denizen, denizen, in her denizen, in her denizen, she's quite real and solid. And But it's interesting because in her denizen, in this facsimile of reality, there are still rats. Well, she, it's she didn't. She, she yes, she well, she didn't make it intentionally necessarily. She made it out of her memories and her brain and her thoughts. Mm-hmm. So the, the rats were we, there. We saw that reference. So it's her recollection. Yeah. But how the I liked how some of the lights are the Edison lamps, some are gas lights, and there are still the rats, even in her memories. It's such a significant part of her world building for her. In her yeah, that, they were. That's interesting. I, no, I like it a lot. It's interesting. And what's really cool is you learn something about how powerful the ghost dust is here is he got some honor in the real world and she ended up having to rip her arm off to escape and her arm is still gone here. So that was like Which is- a, an effective move even on her in the real world. You know, we learned that in the past that demons and some other stuff that come o- cross over when their shell is destroyed, they go back and they can come back the next night, you know, like thinking Cal Shazak, for instance where he could just create another body the next night. So the go obviously ghosts operate under different rules, which is just kind of a cool lore thing that they don't really mm-hmm. shine a light on. They just mention it in passing. But her arm's still gone because he got some, some of that uranium ghost dust on it. Which is amazing. So Michael goes at her with Amarakius, and she backhands him with her one remaining arm. And he's described as that he looked like he weighed no more than a doll. He went flying and rolling along the street. She's clearly she she's got she's got some some power here. She is a strong biddy. Uh, he hops up to his his feet. So in the past we've seen Harry use his shield bracelet to create a shield. In this case, he's using his staff, which is kind of cool because it doesn't mm-hmm. the shields on the bracelet aren't super important in and of themselves. It just gives him something that he can wrap his brain around real easy and quickly. So that's why he can quickly get his this shield spell up with his uh bracelet so in that case you know the little shield trinkets that are on the bracelet itself probably matter but here he's using his staff which allows him to channel more power it presumably just takes a little bit more time which is just cool the different styles of even the same spells we've seen that you know he's using different power levels of his different spells but that's just cool using a totally different foci and it comes out in the past it's like this blue pretty thing and here it's like Mm. orange and Orange light spreading out before me like a quarter dome yeah. shape. So in this way, it's orange. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's even a different color, but it's the same spell and the same idea. But because he, he's focusing it through a different, uh, you know, magical tool, it comes out different. I, I just thought that was mm-hmm. that was the, one of the points I really wanted to make. I, I just love those little. There's so much good little small lore stuff in here that mm-hmm. it's not overwhelming because they don't like you know like really focus on it. But it's just kind of cool. <laughs> I, I love it. <laughs> uh, Michael asked if he's okay, and Harry said, oh, it's good news and bad news. And Michael says, I've always been partial to good news. Well, I don't think she's, I don't think she's interested in the babies anymore. That is good news. The bad news is that she's going to come over here and tear us apart in a couple more seconds. <laughs> and Michael says, not to be negative, but I'm afraid, I'm afraid it gets worse. Listen. And we hear, you know, haunting musical baying from, out, you know, from the midnight air. And this is, I'm pretty sure, besides maybe a much sadder line, 
this is my favorite line in this entire series. Harry says, holy shit, I breathed. Hellhounds. Harry, you know I hate it when you swear. You're right, sorry. Holy shit. Heckhounds. Stupid and obnoxious. That made me giggle. That definitely made me giggle because I have the I have the sense of humor of a fortune. Oh, it's just so obnoxious and like I just I love it. Uh, but he tells us why the heckhounds are a problem, and that's because his godmother's out hunting. How does she find us so damned fast? So they're worried about that, and Michael offers Harry to go back, and he'll 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 fight off the ghost, which would be great. If he didn't care about Michael getting home, he might he might win, but yeah, you know it's probably his chances are better with Harry there. So uh, they go to battle here. You know, he shouts Fuego. Michael's got Amarakius cooking. You know, he, they end up the sword cracks her in the back. The wooden sounding thunk, which does not sound pleasant, and you will not mm. tell us whether or not that is medically accurate. As we move on. <laughs> Obviously, I actually don't know. So this is a, a famous anecdote, so I'm sure most people who listen, would listen to this podcast would know it, but it's still so great, that Christopher Lee, when they were filming Lord of the Rings, pretty sure it's either Two Towers or whatever, doesn't matter. It has to be Return of the King. Either way. When they were filming Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson was giving him notes on when he got stabbed, gets stabbed in the back. And he's like, you know, he wanted to scream. And, ah. and he's like, and he told him, that's not what happens when you stab someone in the back. And that wasn't him saying that from, he didn't read that on the internet, basically. No, <laughs> no, he didn't. He knows what, and he knows the noise that comes out of someone's mouth when you stab them in the back. Which is yeah. awful and really cool. And this isn't a figurative snap in the back. <laughs> yes, no, correct. Um, either way. But I love that he corrected. Oh, yeah. Just a great. <laughs> yeah, he corrected him. <laughs> Trust me, Pete, mm-hmm. he, they, they are not yet. They're not screaming. <laughs> so, uh, uh, he, so amazing. So they find on her, you know, dying ghost body, the. Yeah. It's actually a really cool destru- description of Amarakius's white fire, like newsprint curl. You know, she, she's just burning away from the uh, mm-hmm. um, power in the sword. But they see this basically like a strand of barbed wire wrapped around her body all the way down to an ankle where it vanished. The, the wire vanished into her flesh. Like, no, no wonder she went mad. Yeah. And so basically someone was torturing the ghost. Which implies, Michael says, that they had a reason to, to want this ghost to hurt those children. And obviously, for Michael, that's like he's gonna—he yeah. wants to burn it all down at this point. Um, and I understand that. Oh yeah, pretty awful. But that—that's some fucked up shit, because it also means someone has to know enough about the enchantment to be able to do that. And somebody wanted to hurt those yeah. kids. Or they wanted the chaos that comes from a bunch of hurt kids yes. to but do something nefarious. Using injuring children as a tool. Not ideal. Tool is not cool. In any so, way, so there's a great exchange between these two. Again, um, I just, 
I love all these characters. So I realize I say this all the time, but all their exchanges are great. Him and Michael are just great together. I guess in a lot of the ways that him and Marcone are great together. They know each other really well and they have a connection. Obviously, this is a very different connection, but because they yeah. know each other so well, they can kind of go back and forth. But Harry said, ow, I complained. I keep my complaints succinct. I love and that. And then Michael says, I love that so the city is burning. And instead of thank you, Captain Obvious, he says, thank you, Sir Obvious, because he's a knight, which I just love. <laughs> yes. Uh, and Michael says, can the flames hurt us? Yes, I said emphatic. Time to go. <laughs> which is, again, just a, a good piece of lore stuck in there that, you know, stuff here, spooky and weird as it is, is obviously just as damaging or sometimes maybe more or less, but very damaging to humans there. And then Harry said, wait, do you hear that? And Michael said, I don't hear anything. And Harry's like, yep, no more hounds. Rut, row. And a tall, slender, inhumanly beautiful woman stepped out of the smoke. And another bad guy with red hair. Reddish hair curled down past her hips in a riotous cascade, complimenting her flawless skin. She is a she, a member of the she. Don't like to be called fairies. Apparently where they're from is fairy, for whatever that's worth, but you know, <laughs> Harry describes it later as saying, just like you don't want to be called an ape. That might actually be the next chapter, but I don't remember when he says it, but fairies don't like being called fairies like you don't like being called an ape, although both are correct. <laughs> we are great. We are great apes, right? I, I mean, we we come from them. No, I mean, I think that's like we're in this. Uh, I, don't, I don't fucking know. I'm not a biologist. I'm say I barely got through history much less non-history stuffs. Uh -huh. I swallowed, uh, feeling a sudden childlike panic that started gibbering down in my belly, which I liked. He stepped forward between the fairy and Michael and said, in a rough voice, hello, godmother. <laughs> yeah, and she, he's, yes, he straight up asks, how did you find us? And she says, I have my little secrets. And apparently, you know, she says, blatantly, that they have been long estranged. And he said, yeah, hi, yeah, all right, hi, good to see you, have to do it again sometime. And he's trying to peace out. We're kind of in here, a hurry here, so. She's always in such a rush, you mortals. I like that line. And Mike, huh? I like that line because it's a callback to Toot Toot said the same thing. Mm -hmm. So, they are yeah. a powerful- They believed. No, 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 you're good. Whether you're a powerful fae or just a little dewdrop fairy, you know, you don't understand humans as well as you think. And it's just like, always, you're always running around. Like, what you, just, just calm down. <laughs> always in such a rush. But it's funny, too, because, like, that's sort of a cross-lore sort of thing where so many stories that, you know, fairies and immortals are always like, why are humans always in a rush? But if you think about it, they have such a limited amount of time versus fairies and immortals. You know, a human that doesn't have the same amount of free time as such oh, a being. Absolutely. Uh, but we have Michael. Michael tries to step in and, and be a uh, a hero. Madam, step from our path, if you please. It does not please me, she spat, sudden and vicious. And then those... Yeah, time out, time out. Lips. How do you not use... You have had... You've, you've come out with weird accents. This is a great opportunity. Or you want me she to use an... I will do an accent. Lobbed, lobbed you a meatball right down Broadway and you just swung and missed. But, yeah, I mean... I thought more, I thought right. more of you, madam. I will do a, I will give you a, a lovely accent here, sir. <laughs> All right. Madam, step from our path, if you please. It does not please me, she spat, sudden and vicious. 
those rich lips peeled back from dainty sharp canines and at the same time the three shadowy hounds let out bubbling growls he is mine sir knight by blood right by law and by his own broken word he has made a compact with me you have no power over that thank you very much yep. also also You're that was great <laughs> I am an accent for you. And I'm sorry to all of my friends in England. I know my English accent sucks, but to an American brother of mine. Oh, I just think it's wonderful. I just, you like doing it too. That's a great opportunity. (laughs) No, I totally enjoy it. I totally enjoy it. Uh, So, you know, Michael says, Harry, is that true? And he's like, oh, I I was a lot younger then and a lot more stupid. Harry, if you've made a covenant with her of your own free will, then she is right. There is little I can do to stop her. The fire's getting worse. The fire's getting worse. And, and you know, we need to get the fuck out. They didn't have much time left. Come, Harry, Leah purred, her voice gone. Pardon the pun. Smoky again. Let the good knight of the white god pass on his way. And let me take you to the waters that will soothe your hurts and balm your ills. It sounded like a good idea. It sounded really good. Dresden, good lord, man, what are you doing? Go home, Michael. My voice came out thick and dull as though I'd been drinking. I saw Leah's mouth, her soft, lovely mouth, curl up in a triumphant smirk. I didn't try to fight the pull of the magic. I wouldn't have been able to stop my legs in any case. Leah had a number of, had my number for years. And as far as I could tell, she always would. There isn't much time before the rift closes. Go home. He's trying to get Michael out. He needs Michael to go because Michael will not survive. And so Harry is being lulled by Leah. A wash of tingling pleasure went through me. My body reacted to her, helpless and demanding at the same time. Then I had to fight to keep thoughts of her beauty from preoccupying me altogether. And the rift is shrinking and closing. He says, I narrowed my eyes, gathering my will. Will you complete your bargain now, sweet mortal child? Leah murmurs. I know my accent is changing. I do apologize. I've not done this in many years. Uh, sliding, sliding her hands over my chest and then over my shoulders. I will go with you, I answered. When hell freezes over. I draw out the sack of ghost dust for the time being, for the last time. I dumped it over her down the previously mentioned bosom. There isn't much lore about fairies and depleted uranium yet, but there's a ton about fairies and cold iron. Iron. They don't like it, and the iron content of the dust formula was pretty high. And this is where we we benefit from Harry not being able to get all the uh, the, the the instruments of his work because he probably had to had to supplement uranium with iron, which is great. But her, we learn what this does to her. The iron. Her complexion is slit into fiery scarlet welts, the skin drying and cracking before my eyes. The iron is melting her. It's amazing. So Michael stepped in the way and swept his sword at one of the, the hellhounds. The true iron struck the fairy beast and blood and white fa- fire erupted from the wound. So fucking rad. Just su- super cool. Like the iron, you know, and he's like, all right, let's go. There's no time. Treachery, spat my godmother. She rose up from the ground, blackened and burned, her fine dress and patent tatterings above her waist, her body and limbs stretched knobby and inhuman. Treasonous, poisonous child, you are mine as your mother swore unto me, as you swore. And I'm not going to say that line because that's my quote, my favorite quote. 
Uh, <laughs> you will not give me your life, Seppin' child, and I will have your blood. She took two huge strides toward me and hurled hands forward. A thunderbolt of braided emerald and violet power rushed at my face. I hurled myself backwards at the rift and prayed that it was still open enough to let me fall through. And he lands on the floor of the hospital. And this is another. The rift closes. They're back in the real world surrounded by crying babies. And Michael brings Harry to task because he tricked her. And Michael says, I thought you were an honest man, Harry. I can't believe you lied to her. You can't believe I lied to you to her? Well, no. That's not the way we're supposed to win. We're the good guys, Harry. And I laughed some more, wiped a trick of blood off my face. Well, we are. And a nurse steps in the room, sees him, is like, oh, shit. And it's funny. This is a very funny moment where, you know, they're still talking. And, and Harry puts his... <laughs> and um michael sheaths the sword and sets it carefully aside outside of easy arms reach unfastens his cloak and they both put the hands on the top of their head and a cop walks in don't worry michael said quietly just let me do the talking <laughs> i love it they did it's their best to look friendly and non-threatening just it's fantastic talking about what's happening as they just know if no they know the score like they're just getting exactly <laughs> it's fantastic it's so, really really great just let me do the talking very good stuff. so it's, it's really fantastic awesome it, it's i mean it's just a, it's a great couple of scenes <laughs> so there you go the first six chapters here uh definitely a very different style of novel. Mm -hmm. I, I do, like even you know there are some complaints of some formulaicness come in the the early novels, which I don't really buy because it is a monster of the week mm -hmm. investigator series. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there, there's going to be some level of you have to have the starting, middle, and end points kind of have to be the same. So I, I think that's a, a lame complaint. And you can you want to spice up all the window dressing as best you can. I think he does a great job of that. This is obviously very different than the start to the first two. The first two were a little bit more paint by numbers, but this is definitely a very much a change of pace. We get to meet Michael. We get to meet uh, his godmother. Yeah, her name yet either. Leah. But, we did. He's oh, we do. Okay, yeah, we get to meet Leah, and yeah, don't get her true name yet, but very 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 cool. Um, so it's just a very different thing it's a really well contained six chapters that's why i wanted mm -hmm. to do this chunk even though it doesn't really end on a uh, a cliffhanger because stopping anywhere before that sixth chapter wouldn't have made a lot of sense and okay. adding the seventh would have taken an, a week and a half just to <laughs> to um get through it so but yeah a very cool kind of side quest start of quest of this mm -hmm. of the story we still don't really know we i guess we get a lot of information about the broader somebody stirring up ghosts torturing them in this case and which is again cool that you can even you even can torture ghosts I didn't, yeah who knew very standard lore but uh yeah what are you uh thoughts on, on the lore or any questions or stuff um let's see um okay one of the uh things i noted down where we have a lot of lore a lot of story development in this we've got a lot of things going we're learning a lot but we also get a lot like with the words and will we use a lot of will we discuss will a lot he talks about praying like he didn't have a prayer or he said a prayer when we know harry is not necessarily conventionally religious but again it goes back to michael using his his prayers so i feel like michael is kind of having an impact on him at, 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 to some degree 
The other one is that with Leah's description, Leah's description is interesting, but it's like she's got some level of purpose. Oh, she's she has her own purpose. But he does talk about her exposed bosom and all of this. So I would back I, like at first I was like, OK, yeah, I've got a good description. And then I was like, OK, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> we still have some ick there where he's she's terrifying, but he's still talking about her boobs. Yeah, she, she, he knows why she's there. She's there to destroy him. That, yeah. Um, kind of similar to the, like Agent Ben. I mean, he's like, he's in like a, the fight of his life here. He's like, ooh, titties. Exactly. Like, Come on, Harry. Um, but yeah, I do love, there was just one, obviously it's not a throwaway line. It's very powerful and impactful, but it, it wasn't, it was just kind of, you know, put in there kind of not hiding hiding in plain sight i guess where the it's obviously he says don't make he doesn't say that because that's a quote of the week we haven't said yet no nope. but um but she talks about a bargain that he made with her mm-hmm. he talks about you know he was a lot younger and stupider back then but what's interesting is she says as your mother swore unto me yes as well so as you swore but that line right there is definitely packed with a whole lot of uh-huh. certainly trauma that he's going to need to unpack for a long time. And she died in childbirth. She did. We don't have a lot of information about his mother. He doesn't have a lot of information about his mother. Well, I I, mean, I have some. You do, but <laughs> you said we. We is a lot of people. But then in the mouse, it, I know. Yes, me and the mouse in my pocket. But but where were people who are re- reading up to where we are now? If you haven't read more. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. You that's why I, I. That's why I wanted to point out. Yeah, that's why I wanted to point out that line. No, no, I definitely I noticed it. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's not hiding. It's not subtle. No. It, she even says it before, as you swore, which would make sense because that happened in order. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, she's she, the the lore around she, and I don't not even really getting the lore around Dresden specifically, but most fairies can't out and out lie. Yeah, they can like massage the truth and like you know that you know. They try to trick you, but they try to trick you with that with, without that you can't lie. Nothing they can say is untrue. We learned that about Tutu. Yeah, exactly. But that's kind of true for most of the lore. He just pulls from standing lore and kind of fluffs it up a little bit, mm-hmm. which is cool, very cool. But it's so she, it just seems like that would be the way that someone who just is very like this is what you know they live forever. Like they just compartmentalize stuff and basically a long list of what happened forever. Um. I think it would be more sneaky if she said, as you, you know, you swore your life to me. So did your mother, you know, like flipping that. But yeah. it makes way more sense for a fairy to just be like, your mother swore it. Presumably, like, I'd give my firstborn child for that. Mm-hmm. For that Butterfinger, you know, when she was 11, um, having a tantrum in the 7-Eleven. And Leah took her, you know, whatever. But you like, you, that's, it's obviously that's the implication that she said, you know, my firstborn child or my, my firstborn child for or whatever you know would be what you'd think again very obviously it sticks out as whoa this is very powerful and impactful to the story but mm-hmm. we're not getting anything else on it just like just like shadow dresden hey about your mother oh whoop, you gotta go <laughs> yeah S- similar but a much better way to do that no definitely i agree but it's it's good because it's lore building it's you're building the world you're you, but you don't have all the bits and information and that's okay exactly. um the other thing i wrote down was uh, there's in chapter three, they refer to each other as Miss Rodriguez and Mr. Dresden. And I'm like, that's kind of cute. You know, it's separating the 
professional from personal. But I'm like, is there more to that? Because remember, names are so important in this entire series. So I was just wondering, that might be something that names are more important. Is there some sort of callback to that? Yeah, there it does. It does come up later. Okay. So I don't want to dig too much. Okay. I, it yeah, it comes up later. It, in that case, she's just riffing on like, oh, you stood me up. Like this is not, yeah. this is not a, a, a you know, uh, hey you up. This is like I need you're giving me some meat and potatoes so I can get an article in, and then maybe we'll talk about it. You know. Yeah. That was in a funny way. She's not actually pissed. Like hundred percent. Yeah. No. 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 Totally. She, knows, she knows what he gets up to. Can't be mad at your superhero wizard boyfriend for doing superhero wizard things <laughs> but you know yeah i think that was just her playing around with it mm-hmm. but that is it's jarring because it doesn't really fit in our world uh-huh. and it does and it does come up later in the novel as well and it's it's i mean it wasn't a huge thing but just because we've discussed so much about names and things like that and uh but yeah oh no absolutely it certainly any other thing in that same chapter Susan says, you're going to have to give me the story about him sometime talking about Michael. And literally, I wrote in all caps, same. <laughs> also, there. On, that, on that honorific thought where he calls him Sir Obvious. Yeah. You know, again, they, they do matter, clearly, yeah. in the universe. It's just a, a funny... It's fun, though. Wait, is a joke there, yeah. Sir Obvious is pretty fun. <laughs> me too, I like that. Yeah, me too, girlfriend, me too. Okay, let's see, do I have anything else? Just the wire I put, what the fuck? Yeah, that's awful. And interesting because it's clearly we can see that Harry is able to impact the ghost mm-hmm. with the ghost dust, right? Her arm basically turns to concrete. She has to rip it out of her socket mm-hmm. to flee. So yeah. it's not unheard of, even to us who don't really know much about the lore around ghosts yet. It's not unheard of that a human practitioner can affect spirits. Yeah. So it is very much, which does make it interesting that he's like so surprised by it because like Harry you literally did some shit to her a chapter ago bro yeah um but it definitely is so clearly the implication there is that that's a mortal practitioner stirring this this ghost and presumably the other ghosts that they talk about for a reason yeah that makes sense I think those are all the my big notes other than my um crockpot theory yikes all right. Uh, not a lot of, of yikes here, but there's definitely you know some, some moments that could have been a little bit more skillfully done, certainly. But uh, what do you what do you have on our yikes front today? Um, my two yikes were the description of Leah, the overly like it's just sexualized, but it makes sense where it's the balance where she's you know the beautiful luscious lips and then she opens the lips and there's the sharp teeth. But Lydia and also also fairies are. Yeah, I said that she's not a fairy. Yes, she's a fairy, but if that's more of an in-universe thing where they're they don't like being called fairies. They're the the fae, but or the she or fae, um, but they're not fairies. Fa- fairies are toot 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 toots a fairy. She's not a fucking dewdrop fairy. Like she's a goddamn powerful she. Uh, we get lady. No, I know that's just that's the idea. Um, but fairies are supernaturally beautiful. Not just beautiful, supernaturally. That's an every That's idea. So yeah, and even Tutu, the way he was described, he was tiny, but he was this gorgeous uh, Adonis of a of a tiny little fella. So it, it isn't abnormal or a bad description. It just isn't. Also, it's it's tough to give him the benefit of the doubt at this point. Seriously, 
Yeah. No, and then, I mean, I, I, I get it, but it just, that was a thing where, uh, and the other thing was with Lydia. Yeah, so I'm saying, you know, I'm saying I agree with you that is Yikesy because I, he doesn't, hasn't earned the benefit of the doubt no. to say that he's only doing that because she's a, fa- a fairy, right? Yeah. Like, he would okay. do that if that was a human woman, too. Like, I know, I 100% agree with you. Like, okay. it is Yikesy, it, it may not, even that same exact phrasing may not be Yikesy if the first two novels weren't full of shit like that. Yeah. You know what I mean, because mm-hmm. when you're describing someone supernaturally beautiful, it's, it's hard to describe it in nor- common terms. Yeah. But he hasn't, he's done that with every, Every woman that's walked past past him in the last two two stories, yeah, he's done that too. So I agree, it's yikesy, even though it doesn't, you know, it, it didn't need to be. Yeah, and it kind of, I mean, it made sense because of like the part of it, but no, it, it is definitely SM yikes, like yikes energy there for sure. Yeah, yikes energy, I like that. <laughs> the vibe, it's all the vibe. Uh, what were you thinking about, Lydia? Oh, the, he, he was pretty XC too with her. Yeah, I mean, the first description in my chapter was pretty good. It was just like, oh, like this is a young woman in distress yeah clearly the way no, he's and describing that's her great. and then but but also what's interesting is he describes her like that and still says yeah first thing in the morning which was interesting and then you know she says i, I may not i you know, you're the you know i need you or i won't survive the night and then he you know takes her inside but just interesting notable if nothing else i oh, know it definitely is and, and it, but it's again a woman who hasn't earned her place here yeah, and the, the, the quick moment of gay panic, which again, it isn't that bad. I mean, I'm not, not, I'm a, I try to be an ally as best I can. I'm not a member of that community, so maybe it is bad. So I apologize for if I'm overstepping my, uh, I certainly am overstepping my boundaries all the time in like in this podcast, but like it doesn't seem like it's that egregious necessarily. It just kind of sticks out like a sore thought. You know, it's one of those things where a little creepy. It's, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's, you know, the gay panic. You know, Xander would do it all the time. Yeah. Stuff like that was commonplace in the early aughts. Yeah. It doesn't make it okay. You know what I mean? No, so I that, that's why when I say that it's not that bad, it's, it's probably fine for the time, even, you know, most. People would say again. That was a wrong phrase. But it's generally fine, kind of for what's acceptable at the time, which doesn't necessarily mean right, but acceptable. Uh-huh. Uh, but looking back at it in 2023, it's just you know again, it could be done better. Doesn't doesn't mean we hate him or no, he's terrible not at all. Could have been done a little bit better. Yeah, definitely agreed. But yeah, that's really all the yikes I saw. Yeah, I mean, for six chapters in to just have a couple of like you know kind of questionable instead of not atrocious is, is you know, clearly again progression i'm really curious because in my mind we get past a lot of the really problematic stuff pretty early in the series Mm -hmm. so our yikes section might be different i hope i I, I, my my hope is that it's all but impossible later on Uh in the series but i expect it to get more and more like this where it's kind of that could have been done better Mm -hmm. than oh my god that's embarrassing (laughs) some of the stormfront ones were so we're getting there. Hope maybe I'm wrong, and you know I'm gonna next episode we're gonna have an hour and a half. Yikes! We're just gonna cancel the recap and just do yikes next. Right? Time. Who knows? Um, but uh, we'll see how that works out. So let's uh, do our quotes of the week. All right. Notice how I now just pluralize it. <laughs> yes. Well, we already said what well, we already said one of mine that Al uh, the complained one. Oh, I did. Okay. Yeah. No, it's okay. No, it's okay. Yeah, the Al I complained. I keep my com- complaints succinct. Fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. But my, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty great. It is really good. Uh, but my other uh, one that like, it just made me giggle was when he's, where she, you know, she's treachery, treacherous, poisonous child. And he says, you shouldn't make contracts with a minor as he's running away. And just made me giggle. As he's, sk- as he's skedaddling. He's skedaddling the fuck out of there and yelling it behind him. It's just like, of course, your life is in danger. You are just okay, and we're yelling that 
that phrase, which that statement, which just made me laugh. It's so spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. So those are my two faves. Oh, great. So I, I said mine, which it was I already did, mm-hmm. but the I, I don't I don't like it when you cut when you cut on you cuss or curse. Holy shit, hellhounds, Harry. You know I don't like it when you curse. You're right. Holy shit, hellhounds. It's just so stupid. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm glad you glossed over it. I was going to point it out, and I was like, oh no, no, no. <laughs> it was the ghost did not appear to have noticed me. Ghosts aren't terribly observant. I guess being dead gives you a whole different perspective on life. I love that. And this is my bonus one from you reading it today. Uh-huh. I, I didn't have this in my notes, but I copied it down as you were you were reading it. Oh, yeah. Is there isn't much lore about fairies and depleted uranium yet. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I thought that was spectacular. I mean, there, oh, yeah. it's just so snarky and I love it. Oh, yeah. I mean, in my mind, I, I was, I, I like I said, when I read, I just kind of glaze but I saw, you know, it's going right to the cold iron because I know the cold iron stuff. But when you read it out loud, I was like, oh, God, that's so good. It's funny. So I, but the, um, yes. yet is the part that I love. Um, <laughs> so beyond that, uh, yeah, again, pretty good. Pretty good. It was relatively uh, contained. I had a couple short chapters. You had a couple long chapters, which is nice. Again, when you carry carry the podcast on your back. <laughs> and uh, let's see. Do we have any uh, crackpot theory this week? Oh, my God, Yes. So this is a new crackpot theory. Um, so it is isn't either or. It's about Michael. Obviously, he's our new character, so he has to get some love. Um, yeah. What kind of a monster is he? He's not a monster. Um, <laughs> I think he is either an angel Ooh. or a Templar knight. So you know, like an Idiot right. Jones and the uh, Goblet of Fire. Is that what I thought? The Last Crusade. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Goblet of Fire. That's why, uh, but that it's, night, it's the same idea. That was my idea. That night's Templar. Late Templar. Yeah, he's a Templar knight. Um, well, I mean, we know we know for a fact he's a knight. Yes, we know he's a knight. He's, he's a self-described knight, and Harry called him Sir. Yeah. So. But that's what, what he wears, the, the cloak with the white cloak with the red cross, and he's got a long sword. So those are the two things. And then, as so on the sword, there's a slender spike of running across it, and I'm figuring that's something biblical because... And something to do with blood because Harry kept lamenting on the rust. So I don't know what that is. Maybe it's a spike from the crucifixion or like a spike that like held jo- Joan of Arc on that. No, nah, nah, it's rust. Yeah, yeah it's definitely rust. rust. Exactly. Definitely, definitely rust. Um, light shading clearly. Right. I like that. But the other I like that thing section. that could be a um, something because the smoke from the candle bothered him. So there's something there, too, which is why I thought that he might have some uh, otherworldly elements. But the thing is, is that if he's a Templar Knight, he is humid. But he's just got some tricks up his sleeve because, you know, those guys were pretty magical <laughs> or something. Um, but or he could be an angel, which kind of made. Well, and that that was the whole Mike Arc, the Archangel Michael was kind of like, oh, he's kind of got that. Inner thing. Yeah, that was an interesting reference. Yeah. there. Yeah. And that was where the, the angel is like, he could be an angel. But the Templar Knight is more like that. That works for me. Um, but yeah, so that's my that's I, what would that what would that entail? I mean, those are just oh, night. They were actual knights. Yes, they were. But is he like a, he's like a, is he like an immortal or is he like a like one of the guys from uh, the Mummy that just continue the line? Maybe, maybe that's what it is. But I don't know. But he's got some sort of connection to that where it's like because he, you know, the church he's being sent to. There's a priest. He's obviously Catholic, so we've got that element. The Templar Knights were Catholic, um, and that was the only Christianity. Yes, it was. But you know, there was only one. There was only one flavor in the ice cream exactly. shop. Exactly. Uh, but you know, we've got those. Those are the, all of the the kind of. Again, sorry, I just keep thinking Indiana Jones and the Goblet of Fire. 
<laughs> um, just so we're clear, that is absolutely the name of this episode. Think of uh, the last crusade. <laughs> I think you see the goblets in my head. Oh my goodness gracious. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of like where he's got some I, sort of um, immortality or some level of, you know, he's got that mystery, the mystery about him because the Templar. Well, but maybe he drank, maybe he drank from the, uh, from the right, Holy Grail or something right like that. Huff, yes. <laughs> he, 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 he didn't choose poorly. Oh my God, I use that line all the way, all the time. Oh, all choice. the time. Yeah, it's good one. Poorly. And I say it in that voice and some people get it. Some people look at me like I'm crazy. Be like, <laughs> Don't mind me. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's not something you're not used to. No. I mean, oh, 100%. People look at me weird. When I worked when I worked as a custody record set, all of the, a lot of the people I worked with were younger and we worked in the jail and so there were a lot of young companies and I make movie references. I always quote movies and make really random like pop culture references and the blank stares I would get. And there was something I was trying to explain to one of the young baby deputies and the senior deputy was just laughing. He was just like, you're showing your age. I'm like, just hush, hush, please, sir. <laughs> but that's the thing. I, I make just, I always say when anybody asks me how I'm doing, I either say peachy cane jelly bean, which is a grease reference, or rockin' and rollin' and whatnot, uh, which is also a grease reference, which I just realized that they're both of my responses to how you doing are. Yeah, I, I, so one of our, our, our wonderful sister, Erin, was a very, was, grease was one of her. Mm-hmm. You know how teenage girls are. They watch four movies. <laughs> See, there you go. That was that was yikes. You know how teenagers are. <laughs> I watched Buffy just on repeat for a decade. I don't didn't even know there was actual television, new television coming on screen. That was a, like somebody showed me new television in college. I was like, oh, is this new Buffy? Uh, so I, I definitely not a teenage girl thing. But Aaron happened to have been a teenage girl once upon a time. But Grease was one of her uh, in the rotation. So I always say. You know how it is, rock and roll and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> but so it says, but so it says, how you been doing? Yeah, that's spectacular. Um, okay, so I guess that's it for today. Next week, we're going to do the next six chapters. We'll see if that is a good number for us. And mm. uh, we do, we do tend to chit chat, but we really, can. what's more important? What's more important, a reasonably timed podcast or quality information on Greece 2 and. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Goblet of Fire. Really? Like, what, what, what are we even doing here? <laughs> you want anachronisms. We'll give them to you. Oh, gosh. <sighs> awesome. So, any parting thoughts here, Ice? Or I see can't you know, wait see to week? see what trouble we get into. Absolutely. Very cool. Thank you guys so much. Again, um, continue to hit us up anywhere. Uh, we have social media. We have all sorts of things. But that Reddit thread and life is good. We, we appreciate you guys. This week, again, I released a double episode, but it's just incredible. You know, we, we got people all over the world jumping on board, and this is really, really we are twentieth twentieth country. Although they count Puerto Rico as a country, and certainly maybe they should be either a country or a state. But as it is, Puerto Puerto Rico became the twentieth different uh, location, I guess, <laughs> that we had download our podcast. So the sun never sets on the podcast. It was on fire. I'll tell you what. But in a good non-colonial way. <laughs> Colonialist. Yeah, whatever. Either way. So thanks so much, guys. We'll see you next week. I've been Josh. I am Alyssa. The podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. That now Greece won, or Greece is 
actually fine. It's a good movie. Whatever. I can appreciate it. Grease 2 is atrocious. And I appreciate it even more. Also, as a a young lad. um, Michelle Pfeiffer. A a totally uninterested in the movie she's filming at the time. Michelle Pfeiffer was a very important part of my blossoming into a man. Um, Does that sound gross? I don't mean that in a gross way. That's not what I'm saying. It was just really pretty girl, and I also love that she doesn't give a fuck. She does not. No, she really doesn't. She's barely, she showed up and and cashed those checks, Mm -hmm. maybe. Um, She's spectacular. I love Grease 2 for a different reason. Um, This is now a Grease 2 podcast. (laughs) We're going to touch on Harry Dresden once in a while. (laughs) 